Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. One of my uh, professors in seminary liked to say that the most theologically profound thing that they would do every single year is that they would plant a garden at their house. Uh, there was something about that annual act of planting seeds, of, of tilling the ground, of everything that went into that, watering it, watching things uh, begin to come up to the surface and grow that revealed something significant about who God was, who God is, and how He works in the world. I've shared with you all uh, before that when my grandpa retired when I was a kid, he made it his ambition in retirement to, keep, to teach my sister and myself how to, how to garden. And I've also shared with you all before that at no point did he ask us if we wanted to learn how to garden. It was just assumed that we would. And it was through that process, um, whether it was willingly or not, that, that there were things that I feel like were learned along the way about who God is and how he works among his people. And I think that's accurate because we see it played out across the story of Scripture. In Genesis 2.15, God places Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2.15 says that they are placed there specifically so that they can work and tend to this garden. Adam and Eve are placed in paradise, and yet, as, they're, as they are in that environment, there is work for them to do, to partner with God in His care, His rule, and His reign over creation. Of course, things don't remain that way forever. Adam and Eve sin. They leave the garden. Uh, we keep reading in the story of Scripture. Eventually, we get to the Gospels, and we get to John 18, 2, and Jesus, on the last night of his life, when he could have done anything, gone anywhere, he goes to a garden to pray. John 18, 2 tells us he, he would often go to this garden called Gethsemane. And it's there. Jesus prays to his heavenly Father. He says, Father, if there is any other way that, that your plan for salvation to the world can happen without me going to the cross, let's go that way. And yet, he resolves to do God's will. Whatever might come from that. We keep reading, eventually we get to the book of Revelation, the very end of the story of Scripture, and as John is describing the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem where God will dwell with His people for eternity, in the midst of that city we are told of a river, and we're told of a tree of life, and it sure sounds a lot like the Garden of Eden. The story ends where it began. God's people dwelling in God's presence in a garden. There's something about gardens that reveal something about who God is and how He relates to His people. And because of all of that across the story of Scripture, it probably shouldn't surprise us that as we begin reading the parables of Jesus, we find time and time again Jesus coming back to imagery related to seeds and things growing out of the ground. Jesus lived in a time and place where most people grew their own food, and he used images from the world around him and from the story of Scripture to communicate this message of his kingdom, including things that grow. We've begun this new series called Jesus Stories, where we simply want to marinate in the teachings of Jesus in these parables. 
And in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives this one long teaching discourse, this one long sermon that is largely just parables, Jesus telling stories with a few questions, a few interjections kind of sprinkled throughout. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this section of teaching. We're told about it in multiple Gospels. Most weeks, we're going to be in Matthew's telling of it. Uh, at least one week, will be in, in Mark. But in both of them, Jesus is revealing who he is and is revealing what his kingdom is about through stories in a way that might not be as clear as we would like or would expect. In fact, it's the use of these parables, we'll see today, uh, that makes it more difficult for some people to hear his message. And yet, at the same time, for those who do listen, for those who find life through the seeds Jesus sows, they, they find that they are able to grow into life within God's kingdom. So I want to look at this this morning. This passage really breaks down into three Section. So I'm going to start by reading Matthew 13, verses 1 to 9. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. A lot of scholars will point out Jesus probably does this to amplify his voice a little bit. His voice can bounce off the water so more people can hear him. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. I should say, I've lived in Minnesota long enough now that my brain is confused about how if I should say it is root or root. Um, so give me a couple more years. Anyway, other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The picture Jesus paints would have been common enough in his day, but it probably does sound strange to us, at least when we think about it in terms of farming. Really the closest parallel we have in our day today, I think, is spreading grass seed on a lawn to try to get grass to grow. Just a few weeks ago, Jim Allen was here spreading some grass seed around the church property, trying to get grass to grow in places, and, and he had the bag over his shoulder and the spreader underneath it, and I didn't ask Jim if I could share that, but I assume he doesn't care. Uh, and that's somewhat similar to what Jesus is describing here. You have a farmer with, with a bag of seed scattering it across a field. And yet what's strange about this is that it's not entirely clear that the picture Jesus paints here would have been the exact process that farmers would have followed in his day. And scholars debate this. Because it seems strange that this farmer would spread seed in all parts of the field, even the parts that don't seem all that productive. There are some who say that this is how everyone sowed seeds in Jesus' day. And, and you did that because you, you scatter seed and then you plow the field after the seed has been scattered. And so, sure, the farmer's scattering seed in places that are shallow, that have thorns and things like that, hard soil, but eventually it's going to be plowed, and then everything will grow afterwards. Some say that. That could be the case, but it's not entirely clear that that's how everyone planted seed in Jesus' day. And so it seems like Jesus is not assuming that at all. He's simply saying, there's a field, this farmer goes out, and he starts scattering seeds, 
with hopes that this seed will grow wherever it lands, and in growing, and in sowing the seed, excuse me, it lands on all kinds of soils. Which sort of begs the question of whether or not this farmer knows what he's doing. I don't want to press things too far, but but it seems like if you're a good farmer, you put as little seed as possible in the places where it will not grow. Or you, and, and you do put lots of seed in the places where it, where it will thrive. And yet, unless this farmer simply is not paying any attention at all, it would seem like he's not exactly setting a world record in efficiency. Some of the seed lands on the path. Uh, there's, there's no hope for this seed. All it's good for is bird food. Some of the seed falls on soil that is shallow, rocks that aren't all that far underneath the surface, something common enough in the land where Jesus is giving this teaching, but because the soil is shallow, the seed doesn't go down all that far, and so uh, it germinates quickly, the seed uh, is able to sprout easily, and yet, because the soil is not that deep, there's not enough resources to sustain it. Once the sun gets hot, the plants are scorched, and they die. Some seed falls in soil that, that seems to be good. The only problem is that there's thorns growing, they're taking up nutrients, and what could be a good crop is never able to take off because it's choked out. And yet there's some soil where the seed lands and it thrives and the fruit of that good soil is a good crop, more than enough to make up for the first three soils that do not produce. So that's the story Jesus tells to begin this teaching. I'm sure many of you have heard it before. You know the interpretation Jesus is going to give in just a few verses of this. But if you can, I I would like it if you could picture you're sitting next to Jesus. You're one of the 12 disciples and you're hearing him give this teaching. Jesus sits down to teach, and he just starts telling a story about a farmer scattering seeds. And the disciples are confused by this. It doesn't seem all that straightforward. They ask Jesus to clarify. We might say Jesus has been showing instead of telling. He's painting a picture. The disciples want a lecture, making everything clear. And so they ask him this question in verse 10. And, and as he answers this question we get a glimpse into why he tells this parable and why he tells all the rest of the parables, which is important for us as we, as we go ahead in this, in this um, series as a whole and in this passage in particular. Picking up in verse 10, the disciples came to him, came to Jesus, and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven that has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. 
For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Jesus expects something from those listening to him. The the Christian life is not simply one of showing up and checking boxes, paying annual dues to remain on the membership list, and that is why Jesus teaches in parables. I've found over the course of my life that one of the quickest ways to my heart is to give me a free t-shirt. And so that means that over the course of my life, I've accumulated a fair number of t-shirts that I don't need, if we're being honest, and frankly, I have many of them that I don't know what they're from. Uh, but it's one, you know, one, you can push laundry day one further day down the road if you, if you do that, so it works out pretty well. So um, I have, like I said, a number of free t-shirts, and some of them were just given to me. This shirt here uh, has the Mayo Clinic logo on it. It was actually, uh, Whitney had it given to her when she worked at Mayo, um, and it was too big for her, so she gave it to me, um, and you can see the Mayo logo on the front and on the back. It says, I survived Snowmageddon, um, I think the year, 2019 Snowmageddon. And so if you can imagine that I, am, I was wearing this shirt and I was, uh, let's say, somewhere around town and I ran into someone else who was wearing the same shirt, they might immediately you know, want to hear my perspective on, on this snowstorm. And all I'd be able to say really is that I have questions about how the Mayo Clinic interprets the book of Revelation, but that's a conversation for another day. Uh, because they might say, you know, how, how did you survive? Did you make it into work? How did it go? All that. And I'd have to say, yeah, I wasn't even living in the state of Minnesota when this snowstorm happened. Maybe some of you remember this snowstorm. I do not. I have the shirt. There's just no investment in it. I have some shirts that were also given to me. Um, They just come with more investment and things like that, and therefore there's more significance attached to them, at least in my mind. Um, This shirt was from when I worked on staff at Camp Como in Colorado. You can see that there. It has uh, the elevation of the camp because you can't have anything in Colorado without telling what the elevation is with it. Uh, But this was a shirt I was given when I was hired to work at the camp. And we would have to wear these shirts on the... um, First day of every week of camp for those who were there, campers, faculty, and things in the week, uh, so that they knew who they could go to with their questions and things like that. And if you could imagine, if I was wearing this shirt around town and ran into someone wearing this shirt or a a shirt similar to it, the camp has the same shirt every year, just different colors, um, or at that point they did, uh, it would be a very different conversation. I could share stories about what it was like to work at Camp Como, the people I worked with, Uh, what that summer was like, all sorts of things like that. There is more investment. There's more significance attached to it um, because of what went on, not to earn the shirt or anything like that, but what was involved in the response to the shirt being given. And I say all of that because I think Jesus is saying something similar as he teaches in parables. Listening to a story requires some attention if you're going to get more out of it than just some light momentary entertainment. And Jesus expects those who desire that something more 
to listen to what he is saying and find what he is pointing them towards. While those who simply want entertainment will miss out. So that means that as we listen to the parables of Jesus, including this one, something is required from us if we truly desire to grasp the significance of this kingdom that Jesus has come to establish. Jesus is not content to allow us to be passive bystanders. He desires for us to listen to what he says and to be transformed by it. I remember one summer when I was in high school, I was going to a a week-long event, and I remember my mom saying to me on the way to the event that I would get out of it what I put into it. She said, if if you just go and just stay on the sidelines and just don't get involved with anything, you're going to come away from the week disappointed. But if you invest, if you put yourself into it, you will grow from it. And that was absolutely the case. And I think something similar is going on here when Jesus calls us into life with God. If we don't invest, we'll be disappointed that we haven't found what we're looking for. But if we do, we find transformation. The writer G.K. Chesterton once said, the Christian ideal has not, been found tri- has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Jesus makes a similar point when he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. When the prophet Isaiah is called into ministry, he makes it clear that his ministry will consist of announcing the truth of God and calling God's people to repentance so that they might have their relationship with God restored. And God also makes it clear to him the people won't listen. They will hear, but they won't understand. They will see, but they won't perceive. If If they would listen, if they would understand, they would be healed, but they are unwilling and therefore unable. Something similar happens again and again across the ministry of Jesus. Plenty of people hear what he has to say. Many of them do not take it in. The same can be said in our day. Maybe we come to Jesus wanting something from him, wanting him to fix our marriage, our kids, or our finances, and if that is all we want from him, we will find following Jesus difficult because he asks so much more. He doesn't write us a prescription asking us to fix, or that will immediately fix our marriage. He tells us to die to ourselves and serve the other person. And from that posture, he says our marriages can be fixed. He doesn't give us three tips to make our kids better listeners or more obedient. He calls us to follow him and to teach our kids to do the same. He doesn't hand us investment advice. He calls us to make him our top priority even when it comes to our finances and tells us to allow that to define everything else. And when we hear that, it might sound difficult, and we might want to give up on the whole thing. But for those who listen, for those who get through the mess and deal with Jesus himself, we will find life with God, which we truly desire and need. So if I can circle back to the question I posed earlier, maybe asking if the farmer is good at their job is the wrong question. Maybe instead of asking about what is going on with this farmer, the better question is to ask what is going on with this soil. Maybe the problem's not with where the farmer sows the seed, but with what the soil does once the seed has landed. Maybe the better question is what the farmer desires for the soil to produce if it became everything it was intended to be. 
Jesus circles back around to this parable to help us get a sense of what he's saying so that we might not only understand the story he's telling, but understand the life he's inviting us into so that we can experience this story for ourselves. Picking up in verse 18, he says, Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. These four soils Jesus describes are four different types of responses to the message of Jesus. Some of the seed falls on the path. The ground is hard, and just like a bird will come and pick up that seed before it can get down in the ground, Satan comes and snatches it up because the person has decided they do not want or need this message. Jesus warns us against being someone so opposed to him that we don't even have space to entertain his words. Some of the seed falls in rocky ground and shallow soil, and, and it grows quickly, but since it doesn't have good roots, it only lasts a short time. And in the same way, there are some people who at first are excited about the message of Jesus, but they do not put down roots, and when life gets difficult, it all crashes down, and our world is littered with too many of these stories. Someone becomes a follower of Jesus, and they're charismatic, so they get elevated to some position quickly, and eventually it's discovered they didn't have any roots, and there's failure, there's burnout, and people are hurt in the process. There's a reason why Paul warns us against elevating someone too quickly, not because someone has to toe the company line at all costs, but because if someone is not sufficiently rooted in Jesus, the end is not pretty. Jesus warns us against being people who have not rooted ourselves in the gospel. Some of the seed falls in soil full of thorns, and that keeps the seed from being able to grow into all that it could be. And I don't want to make too bold a proclamation, but I think our world is far more guilty of this than we ever realize, especially this time of year. We've got camps, we've got sports, we've got vacations, we've got school trips, we've got work trips, we've got all kinds of things that we could imagine, and all of those things are not bad, but they can get in the way and squeeze out the message of Jesus. And please hear me when I say that being busy on its own is not a bad thing, but also please hear me when I say that we are in trouble when we allow all of our other commitments to squeeze out our life with God. I'm not talking about whether or not you're in this building every Sunday and whether or not you're reading your Bible every day as if it's just a matter of checking boxes off a checklist, although those things are not bad things in themselves. There's worse things to do than go to church and read your Bible. I'm talking about whether or not Jesus has priority in the midst of all of our other commitments. Jesus warns us about being people who try to fit him in with everything else because it will not work. It was never meant to. But lastly, he says that there is some soil that bears fruit. And when that soil receives the seed of the word of God and responds, the result is abundant harvest. 
And Jesus calls us to be that good soil. He invites us to listen to his message, to allow him to set the terms so that we might have life. And this life Jesus brings deals with sin, injustice, brokenness. It even deals with death itself so that we might be restored into a right relationship with our God for eternity. So even if this farmer might not go about sowing seed in the best way, if he, even if he's just scattering seed any and all directions recklessly, he still knows what he's doing because the potential for fruit from this harvest is worth it. The potential's worth it no matter where it lands. So if that's the story Jesus tells us and how we're supposed to read it, I just want to connect a few more dots. Because we spend a lot of time sorting out what each of these soils are and what it all means. And I think that's worth doing because that's what Jesus does. And yet at the same time, we shouldn't miss that in verse 18, Jesus calls this parable the parable of the sower. That means the sower is what matters here. And Jesus is that sower who has come to this earth with the message of the kingdom, scattering the seeds of that message, and he entrusts that same practice to his people, including you and me. And as that message goes out, even today, there are all kinds of responses, even in this room right now. But regardless, the seed is being sown. And those who hear it are called to respond to its message and bear fruit. Jesus came to bring this message of the kingdom, that because of God's great love for us, he has come so that we might be redeemed out of sin and death and into his grace and love and have life with our God. And depending on who we are and what season of life we're in, we might hear and respond to that message in all sorts of ways. But no matter who we are, no matter where we are with God this morning, we all as soil are called to bear fruit. Responding to that message will look different for each and every one of us, but the message is still being announced. People are still being called and invited to bear fruit in the gospel. We should desire to do that. So if you're hard-soiled this morning, my challenge is to listen. My guess is that if you are truly hard-soiled like Jesus is describing here, you've tuned me out completely if you're in this room at all, but please, that does not mean the seed is not being scattered, even if I can't talk. If you hear nothing else from me this morning, hear that Jesus is coming for you. If you know someone who is hard soil and is not here, know that God has not given up on them. If you're here and have rejected what I'm saying outright, I would challenge you to pause, to listen, to consider why that is, to wonder if the, the claims of Jesus truly are the reasons why you've rejected him or if there is something else. Know Jesus for who he truly is. Listen to what he's saying. Allow the sower to work the soil so that it might bear fruit. If you're shallow soil, invest. I'm not trying to heap guilt and shame on anyone, but my heart is that we would all grow into what God has called us to be so that we can fulfill the mission and the vision he has given us as individuals and as a church. And that requires each and every one of us to have strong roots to continue through trouble and persecution as Jesus describes it in these verses. So invest in the things that help us put down strong roots. Invest in community. Put people around you who will look you in the eye and call you out on your sin because they love you and want better for you and grow in the humility that is necessary to be able to listen to those rebukes. Invest in service 
I'm not trying to contradict what I was saying earlier about putting someone too high too quickly, but I do think that one of the best things we can do to put down strong roots in our faith in Jesus is to find ways and places where we are serving others. Service makes it hard to make it about ourselves, and it forces us, even against our will at times, to take on the character of Jesus who came to this earth as a servant so that we can have life with him. So do the hard work. Get the rocks out of the soil, deepen the roots so that you can grow in life with God. If you're thorny soil, pause. If this is a temptation, especially present in our world today, and I think it is, it's worth reflecting on the ways we might fall into being this sort of soil without even realizing it. And as you pause and take stock, it might surprise you how often this is the case, or it might cause you despair because there don't seem to be any easy fixes. It might require, I'm not going to lie to you, it might require difficult decisions and conversations. It might feel like you're taking away things that seem essential, but if it is true that Jesus can be trusted, then that means that nothing we give up so that we can take hold of him will be a bad trade in the end. Let go of whatever it might be that is holding you back from fully taking hold of Jesus, even things that might be good, so that you can take hold of life in the kingdom of God, which is the best thing. And if you're good soil, bear fruit. The point of this parable is not just to get everyone to the good soil stage and then the, and then the story ends. The point is, to, is so that everyone would be fertile soil so that they would bear fruit for the glory of God and participate in his kingdom. We're in the time of year where every time I drive to this building, I pass fields of crops that are coming up and starting to grow and bloom. And it has been a reminder for me, and maybe it can be a reminder for you as well, to reflect on how God is sowing seeds in our lives and is calling us to bear fruit. I don't know what that is for you, but if you're good soil, I would challenge you to ask God what that is and how he is leading. Maybe looking at crops growing in fields over the next few weeks can be an opportunity to take stock of gifts, abilities, opportunities that God places in front of us so that we can have life with God and be a part of his kingdom. And no matter who you are this morning, no matter what category you might fit in or think you fit in, we are all called to take the next step in life with God. And if that step's following him for the first time, if it is letting go of something that is holding you back or taking hold of something new so that you can experience life with God in a deeper way, let's have a conversation with me or someone else about what that looks like. We would love nothing more to pray for you, to encourage you so that you can do just that. That's what I'm up here for for the rest of this service. That's what I'm up out there at the door for at the end of the service. That's what we are here to do, to encourage one another, to follow Jesus and bear fruit within his kingdom. And so may we do that. May we bear fruit as God's people. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you've invited us in to be a part of this kingdom that Jesus came to this earth to bring us life when we deserve death, to bring us grace when we deserve punishment, to bring us hope when we deserve despair. We ask for your presence with us as we respond to that message and participate in life in your kingdom. God, we ask for wisdom for how we might live 
as a part of your people where you have placed us in the time and the place where we are. Father, I pray that even now your spirit would be working among each and every one of us, giving us insight, wisdom into how you are at work in our lives. That no matter where we might be right now, we might come away from today desiring to take a a next step of life with you and knowing what that looks like. And as we desire that, may we encourage one another, lead one another to to do just that wherever you lead. And it's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French. 